going to be spending over the next few weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about love. We're going to talk about the definition of love and how love is defined. We live in a world and in a culture and an age today where love has been defined by culture. What I mean by that is it's been redefined from what God's Word says love is. And so what I really want us to do is to get back to love. Because the re- reality for us as a church is, is that the world does not believe what the message of the Bible says anymore. The world doesn't believe that because uh, it was written years and years ago. It was written by uh, you know, a bunch of men or all these different things. But the truth of the matter is, is it was inspired by the Holy God. It was given to us by our Creator. The world didn't start by some big bang, which we can't even explain. It started by the hand of God. God said that He breathed life into us, that we were dust. And from dust we came, and dust we shall return. And in that process of us living this life, that there is something that we have that gives us meaning. And that's a relationship with him. Well, what I want you to see is that devoid of love, we don't have relationship. We have a lot of different things that the world calls it, um, but it's not really a, a love relationship. And that's really what defines us. So as we define love, we're going to define ourselves. So the only way that we're going to embrace culture is not by wagging our finger at them and saying, you know, this is the reason you guys are going to die and go to hell, all these different things. We got to embrace culture through love. So we have to know what love is. If we know what love is, then we can display love to those who are around us. Now, look, I get it. We all have different personality types. We all have different things of how we were brought up and and how we were raised. And so as we go through that, through our own gene pool and through the experiences that we have, some of us didn't come from a great love relationship. Or maybe in our lives and in our attitude and in our hearts, that's just not what comes to us. I I know that... uh, some people were, were raised possibly in a cold atmosphere. And so that gives us an experience or a bad taste in our mouth, and it's hard for us to embrace other people. But that's what we have to do. We can overcome every experience and even our own gene pool to reach out and embrace those who are separated from the Lord. Why? Because that is what defines us. So as we look at this and we look at this passage and look at what uh, 1 Corinthians is going to have to say over the next few weeks as well, we're going to see that love is the very impetus of, of who we are. In fact, I'm going to go on ahead and tell you how it ends. The whole message series is going to end is that three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what? Love. And so look, without love, there is no faith. And without faith, there is no hope. If there is no hope, then what are we here for? And so these three things embrace our lives. In fact, we can see this in culture. If we lose love relationships and we lack faith, we lose hope. More suicides today per person and per capita than any other time in history. Why? Because people don't have a consciousness of life. They lose hope. Why do we make the decisions as a culture is what we do to either abort children or to euthanize life? It's because we don't value life because we don't see it for what it is. We need this love relationship. It is the very glue that holds everything together. And so if we don't have love, we don't have life. And if we don't have life, we don't have eternal life. And if we don't have that, then we're just existing. And so as we look at this passage and as we go through this, I need you guys to understand and to see where it came from, what it is, what our job is and all of it. So the, what we're going to do is we're going to start in 1 John chapter 4, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. 
We're going to look at verse 7 first. Of course, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. For And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 11 says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now look, it starts off in both of these verses with the word beloved. So you need to understand something. As God is speaking about love through his scripture, he's speaking to his people. So this is a direct message. This is a direct message to you and I, to the people of God. So in other words, what I'm saying is we can't just go out there and say, God loves you to the world and have the world get that and understand that. You've got to see the fact that when God is speaking, that you and I are the very essence of love in the world. He said, beloved, let us what? Love one another. So how is that love displayed? That love is displayed. The relationship that we have with God is displayed through our relationship with other people. And Scripture is very, 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 very poignant about this and direct about this. In fact, in a marriage relationship, if you go and look in Ephesians chapter 5, it says that your love for yourself is found in the love that you have for your spouse. So how in the world can someone say that they love their spouse and then beat them? How in the world can someone say that they love their spouse then emotionally or verbally abuse them? So that is not the example that Christ is setting for us. So we can't call ourselves children of God and act towards someone else. And in fact, the marriage relationship is defined scripturally as the closest relationship that we can have that between us and the Father. So how we treat each other, especially to those who are close to us, is the importance of what scripture is and how it defines us as people. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. Get this. You don't create love, and you can't create love. Love was not created by you. Love is a gift to you from God. Now look, I get it. Now I'm going to tell you an example of something, and I don't even know why we would do something like this, okay? But there have been studies to, to show with children those in other words, they would monitor children, and some children they would give love to, and some children they would not give love to. In other words, they were not held, they were not shown compassion, they were not shown all these things. And then they watched them over time to, to see how their attitudes and their actions developed. Now, what do you think happened to the children that were loved from the very time that they came out, coddled, given that attention, shown all those things? What do you think happened to those children in comparison to those who didn't? It's a completely different outcome. Completely different outcome. In fact, there's a story just this past week about a guy who hit a one-month-year-old, one-month-year-old child, and took its life. I understand that children cry and all these things, but what kind of relationship does that show between one human being and another human being? This is not what God intended for us. But you need to understand that we can't create that on our own. So many marriages, over half our marriages fell because marriage relationships are started believing that they can create love or that that love will be birthed through their fondness for each other, their lust for each other, whatever way you want to, their familiarity with each other. 
I mean, goodness gracious, we got TV shows now. What is it? You know, one TV show that comes on right now that basically they just meet each other for the first time and then they go and get married? <laughs> uh, you know, what is uh, like arranged marriages and all that kind of stuff? You know, all those things. So we think about this. We don't think about this from a relational aspect or a relational standpoint. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Okay? Love comes from God. Who, who, whoever, look, let me start over. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So if there is no love, then there can be no relationship with God. Because everyone who knows God loves. And we're going to see later that there's no way that we can have that relationship because if we don't love, we don't, if we don't know God, we don't love. So we don't have that. The world does not have what we have here. Why? Because it is not created in us. It is given to us spiritually through a relationship that we have with him. I love God. If, I love, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let me just go on ahead and give you these three things. Love is commanded. God commands us to love. He tells us here that we're to love one another. He tells us in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 14, he says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. We're followers. Every single one of us. Every single person in the world is a follower. We look for leaders in society, but we're actually followers. We're followers of something. So if you're spiritual, then you're following after the things of God. If you're not spiritual, then you're following after the things that are of this world, whatever that might be. It could be money. It could be life as you define it, which is what happens a lot culturally today. And so we just pursue those things that we want to pursue. So when we pursue something of ourselves, then ourself is at the center of that. God says that we shouldn't be at the center of our lives. He says that, we, that he should be at the center of our lives. If he is at the center of our lives, then at the very core of who we are is love. Think about those who love you. A lot of you are here with your mothers your grandmothers, your great-grandmothers. All of that is a love line that has been poured down to you. I mean, Miss Fran's here this morning, and it's a great-granddaughter, right? Your great-granddaughter that just went off. And that great-granddaughter is now living with you, right? That great-granddaughter is living with her. It's a direct line. She gets to pour in love. Generationally, Miss Fran is pouring in love and love and love and love. How many kids, grandkids, and everything now? Seventy-five. One great grace. So a total of seventy-six. That's a household right there, is it not? I mean, come on. That's more people than are in this room right now. I want you to think about that. One life right there, one life. More people than are in this room right now. What is the importance of love? 
The importance of love is because her life impacts 76 other lives. 76 other lives. Just in her genealogy. That's not having anything to do with friend relationships or any other things that are outside of that. We have a responsibility here. With faith comes responsibility. Our responsibility is to take the message and the word of God and not to beat it over the head of those who are around us, but to impart the, the nature of the very creator in which we gave us life. And that nature is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. The whole setup for this is based off a love relationship. We've lost love. Love is commanded. It's not an option for us. Jesus says, you are my friend if you follow my commands. If we want to be a child of God, if we want to be a follower, a disciple of Christ, then we must love. It must be the very aspect of what defines us. When someone asks, what are you, or who are you, or, or tell me a little bit about yourself, is love a word that comes up? Is that something that would come up as a part of our character? It should be the very essence of our character in everything that we do. People should think about the love aspect. Now, love is shown in many different ways. And so as, as love comes out, it may come out as kindness. Or it may come out as gentleness. Or it may come out as uh, faithfulness to things. I mean, it comes out in so many different ways, shape, form, or fashion. So the root of that could be love that actually shows up in some other way. But you cannot have those things without love. Why? Love is commanded. Love is the gift. God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Al prayed this during our offertory. Al prayed this verse for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ still died for us. Now look, I got baggage in my back, background in my life. There are things that I wouldn't want to tell you about myself, things that I've done, places that I've been, things that I've said, ways that I've acted, all of those things. God overcame all of that through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son to wipe that clean so that we can have a relationship with him. Why? Because he desired that. God demonstrated that love to us. Not so much that he gives us the opportunity for that because he loved the world, but he demonstrated it to us. He put it into action by sending Christ to die for us on the cross so that we could have that love relationship with him. In other words, he didn't birth us into a mess and then leave us. You can look around the world and say, hey, there's a lot of issues and stuff that goes on here. This is as good as it gets. No, it's not. He didn't birth us into this to leave us in this. Because to birth us in this and leave us in this is to have no hope. And we cannot live functionally without hope. In fact, you can go and read in, in uh, war and military uh, publications, the greatest, easiest way to defeat your enemy is to take away their hope. 
If you take away, that's what a siege is all about. Hundreds of years ago, they laid siege to a city. They would surround it. And what? People inside the city would go, oh, we have no hope. There's no water. There's no food. There's no way to get out. We're just stuck here. And what? They would just surrender. Our enemy lays siege to our lives. But the gift is greater than the siege. God demonstrated his own love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ still died for us. <laughs> I know this is hard to think about as a believer and a follower, but Christ didn't have to go to the cross. He didn't have to. In fact, in the garden, there's contemplation about that. What does he pray? Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. What do you think Jesus is doing in the garden? He's probably going, there's so many more people's lives that I can impact. There's so many more things that I can do. There's so many more opportunities for me to do this. I don't really have to go to the cross and die for all this to happen. Do I? Let, if, if it's not your will, let this cup pass from me. But it didn't. It was his cup to carry. And it says in Scripture that you and I have a cross to bear. What does that mean? That means that no one is anywhere by chance. Your situations and circumstances are yours. And your cross to bear in that is how you respond. Chuck Swindoll, and I've told you guys this before, Chuck Swindoll, great pastor of the last 50 years, his deal is this, or his famous saying is this life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond but man we sure do make a big deal out of the 10% don't we we give excuses we slack off responsibilities we lay down things because we've got it worse than everybody else we're going through stuff that nobody else ever goes through Scripture says that there's nothing that is uncommon to man. In other words, whatever you're going through, somebody else has gone through it before. And Scripture says that Christ experienced all things so that he could be that intercessor for all things. Meaning when he's on the cross and in the darkest of hours, when he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's bearing the worst of the worst. You know, we look out at society today and it seems like a new bad stuff happens all the time. Something that we think is unthinkable. But even of the things that we think are unthinkable, Christ experienced that. And he bore that on the cross to die, to sacrificially cover that, his blood. The word in Romans is propitiation. His life is a covering for my life. I am a sinner saved by grace. It is a free gift from God. My job is to accept that. It's called surrender. When I surrender, I take myself off the throne and I put him on the throne. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2. He says, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. So it's no longer my life, but the life that Christ would have me live. And as Christ would have us live that, the very first thing he would say 
to us through that is to love. In fact, that's exactly what he said to his disciples. You are my friends. If you do what I command and you follow my commandments, and this is the commandment that I give you, that you what? Love one another. So our relationship, our vertical love relationship with God is only found in the relationship that we have with those who are around us. You cannot be a follower of Christ and everybody think that you're a son of a gun. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't match up. Something is wrong. Either you're not in a love relationship with God or you're not defining what a love relationship is from God. Hmm. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. I didn't give it all to you, but in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, on your outline, you can go back and look at this. Pretty much in all of Scripture, all lists begin with love or end with love. These three things remain, faith, hope, and love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth and so on. Self-control, all these things. Meaning this, either everything is building towards love, the greatest of these is love, or everything flows out of love. So if you don't have love, you don't have the beginning or the end. How do you make a sandwich without bread? There is no sandwich without bread, is there? Bread on top, bread on the bottom. You're going to lunch today. You get a sandwich. It's going to be topped with what? Bread. And on the bottom, it's going to be bread. In the middle, that's all the substance. Without the bread, you don't have a sandwich. Without the love, you don't have a life. It's the very thing that keeps all the substance that we think we are all together. It is the top, it is the bottom, it is the beginning, it is the end. Love is commanded, love is a gift. Love is intimacy. A personal connection. We live closer to each other than we've ever lived before in the history of our country, yet we know less about those who live next to us than we've ever known before. Do you know that? I mean, I want you to think about this. Fifty years ago, everybody knew everybody, right? And you lived so far apart, it took a long time for you to get back and forth to each other, right? Now, they're right next door. There may be a fence in between you, but you don't even know their name, do you? They may live behind you, and we don't know their name. We don't know anything about them, and they're right next door to us. Why? Because we don't have a personal relationship with them. They're just people. And because they're just people, you can get away with a lot of stuff. This is what I mean by this. When all this bad stuff happens, we're not outraged. When we read about, see about, hear about all these bad things that happen societally, we're not outraged because we don't know them. They're just people, right? 
Now think about a few years ago when we talked about this and you did know all your neighbors. When something bad happened, you felt it, didn't you? You felt it at the very core of who you were because why? You knew them. You knew them some way, shape, form, or fashion. Or if you didn't know them, you knew their brother or you knew their mama or your dad, their daddy or you knew some part of their family. You knew some way. Why? Because you were connected to them. Now we think in terms of Kevin Bacon connections. You know what I'm saying? We're only, what is that? Seven, what is, what is it they say? Seven, seven degrees of separation. We're supposed to only be seven degrees of separation from everybody in the world. It's like Kevin Bacon in movies. You ever watch Kevin Bacon? You know, he's worked with so many different people that you're supposed to be able to connect all these people because, uh, forget Kevin Bacon. Seven degrees of separation. How many billions of people? How in the world am I connected to somebody in India? Or China? Or Japan? It's hard to fathom that there's only like seven degrees from me to them. But there's seven degrees. So to me, they're just people on the opposite side of the world. When we lose personal connection, we lose intimacy. When we lose intimacy, we lose the heart for mankind. We lose the very reason why we're here. Was anybody birthed to go through life alone? We weren't. We weren't made that way. We weren't made so that we could be born, not have any interaction or anything, any kind of connection with anybody else and go all the way through life and then just exist and then leave. God gave us each other. And with that comes responsibility. With that responsibility comes, as a people of God, something for us to culturally uphold. We've washed our hands of this. The church doesn't even love the people that are inside the church, much less everybody else outside the church. We can't even get along with each other. What would happen right now if I asked y'all to switch sides? Y'all are probably sitting over here because y'all don't want to sit with them, right? <laughs> Look, I know some of those people over there, and I don't know if I would either. I'm just kidding. My son-in-law is sitting right there. I'm going to sit up on the front row. I'm going to sit beside him. Look. We, we do things in life to avoid interaction. Amazon's going to kill us. Is it not? That daughter right there orders everything off of Amazon. <laughs> Toothpaste, makeup. She'd never leave the house if she didn't have to. I get packages all the time. What is this? It's my makeup. I'm like, go to the store. Pick it out. Get a new color. See some people. Live some life. Yeah, man. That's right. Delivered straight to your door. Food. Order all your food. Why? I don't want to go to a restaurant and interact with anybody. I don't want to see anybody. Don't want to drive. Don't want... Are you following me? All this convenience is bringing all these things directly to us, but what we're losing is each other. So the command that we're given to love one another if we don't have to see anybody else, do we really have to love them? If we can go through life like that, do we really? I mean, come on. I don't really have to, do I? 
We do. Which means we have to do the hard things. Like put ourselves out there. Like ask your coworker how they're doing, how their family is. Get to know them. Delve into their life. They've got some mess. You've got some mess. But that connection is what will draw you to each other. We close the distance. When we close the distance between us and God and us and other people, we develop intimacy. When we develop intimacy, then a relationship is formed and a relationship thrives. As a relationship is formed and it thrives, it grows. And then it multiplies itself out. I want you to think about this. Okay, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to, I'm, I've done a good job this morning of pointing out people, so that's, that's really pretty good. I'm going to give you just a small one right here. Since the first of the year, the Bogards have started coming to the church. The Bogards knew Felicia. Felicia married Stanley. That whole row, that whole row was not here five months ago. Do you get that? That's the importance. That's just not one. That's multiple. Do you see how God multiply that out? That's the importance of what we're talking about here. That's what this means. That's the life effect of that. So the life effect of that is that now a whole group of people with all of their contacts, with all of their people that they're connected to that weren't even a part of this family of God right here six months ago are now connected here. Or are not only connected, but are a thriving part, involved in Sunday school, involved on Wednesday nights. They didn't just come and sit down on Sunday mornings. They got deeply involved in the relationships that are there. They made them with you and with me. They took the time to, did, to do that. They didn't avoid it because it was hard. Because they couldn't, they don't know how to have a conversation. Or they didn't know how to, who you were. Or, and you didn't know who they were. And They took that time to be able to develop that. That's what God tells us that we have to do. He calls us fishers of men. We mentioned this past Wednesday on Wednesday night, but I'll mention it again here on Sunday. When you catch a fish, does it jump in the boat and say, eat me? It does not, does it? That, that's right. And just say, come on ahead and fillet me. I'm good right here. It fights you all the way, right? It fights you all the way. And then you get it in the boat. Is it ready to be shared at that point? No. You got to what? Clean that fish. You have to prepare it. Do you get that whole process? We're fishers of men. God calls us. You cast the net out to see what will be caught. Then when something's caught, it is flipping and flopping to try to get out of the boat before you even get it in. Then you get it in the boat. Same thing, flipping and flopping to get out. And then while you're doing that, then you've got to be cleaned. Meaning, everybody doesn't come in here perfect. 
Are you perfect? I knew that. I'm the closest thing to perfection in this room. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Y'all don't see my wife's face right now, do you? Nor the, that whole front row right there. Only Gabe gets to gaze upon that. <laughs> Look, there's no perfection in any, va- any one of us. A love relationship calls for us to, to look past that. Okay, I'm going to give you one more. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping this up here. You got a spouse in this room. How many of you have ever changed them in all the years that you've been married? You changed them. Thaw. Mama, I swear he's like this now, but I know I'll change him once we get married. Good luck. So that's a perfect picture of this. I don't change any of you. The words that I say don't change any of you unless the Spirit of God moves in you to change you. You change you. Scripture says if you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. There's not anything I can do. You cannot change your spouse, it's not going to happen. So, if you know that and you're going to develop an intimate love relationship with somebody, you better take some time to get to know them. Personally. So when that happens, then you know what you got, right? And then you work together to make yourselves better. And you work on your relationship with God, and she or he works on his relation or, or their relationship with God. And as they do, guess what happens? You grow closer together. Tamara completes me. She really does. My kids know that. It's amazing. Depending on what my kids need, of, of who gets the phone call. If it's a geography question, it comes to me. <laughs> Tamara has no idea a concept of maps or where anything is. But if it's a... But how can I say this? If it's a deep intimacy question, it ain't coming to me. If it's about compassion and mercy, it ain't coming to me. You see, there are things in the relationship and holes which I feel, and there's holes in the relationship of me or, or who I am as an individual that she feels. We put, we put it together. Same thing that God does inside of us. There is a spiritual hole in you. And there's nothing in this world that's ever going to fill it up. No drug no alcohol, no lifestyle, no whatever is ever going to fill that up. It's always going to be empty because the hole is a God-sized hole. And you can even come to church and it won't fill it up because it's a spiritual hole. And you can even be baptized and that might not fill it up because it's a relationship hole not an act. 
It is who we are. And on Mother's Day, as you sit next to those who've raised you and who's poured into you, you know love because love has been shown to you. You know love because of what you've received. Guess what? They know love because someone poured into them. And if you take that all the way back, God poured into them. And you are a generational recipient of a relationship with God. And the life that somebody else lived is now being poured out into you. A little genealogy on one of my sides of the family. Close with this. My great-great-grandfather was a pastor. My great-grandfather was an alcoholic. My grandfather was neither. My dad was a churchgoer. I believe he had a relationship with God. He's gone now, so I hope that I'll see him one day. And I'm back to being a pastor. It's in my bloodline, but that doesn't mean that everybody between him and me is there. Just because you were born with it doesn't mean it's going to stick. You got to believe it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your grace, your mercy. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the love that we've received from those who gave us life, physical life. I thank you for our mothers. I thank you for the blessing of them. I thank you for the faithfulness of those who are willing to raise us, bring us up in church, or, or to teach us about what it means to have a relationship with you. And Father, I just pray that each one of us one day in our hearts or, or have already developed that and will live that because it is life. And it is life abundantly. But it is not necessarily life abundantly monetarily. But it is life abundant. It is life that is given, given to someone else. And Father, I pray that you will continue to show your mercy and grace upon us. And thank you so much for sending your son to die for us. These things we ask and pray now in the name of Jesus. Amen.